following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Ruth. Find that uh, right after the book of Judges or right before the book of 1 Samuel. We are nearing the end of uh, this narrative concerning Ruth and God's means of preserving uh, the line of Elimelech that would then uh, end up in the birth of David, king over Israel, and then, as we know, also then the line of our Lord and Savior Jesus, how God has providentially preserved that line through the ages In the many other lessons that we've learned, I hope, through this book, God's guidance, the virtuous character of both Boaz and Ruth, and even God's provision for Naomi through Ruth's actions and also then through the marriage of Boaz to Ruth, which we will read about this evening. So I hope that's given you enough time to find Ruth. Turn with me to chapter 4. We'll begin this evening in verse 7, a little bit of an, of, an, of an overlap from last time, but we'll give a little bit, little bit more detail this evening concerning those verses. Verses 7 through 17 is our passage this evening. Let me read that to you, and then we'll work our way through it in the remainder of our time this evening. Beginning in verse 7 of chapter 4, it says, Now this was the custom in former times in Israel. Let me begin back in verse 6. Uh, and this gives a little bit more context. And it says in the close relative, this is, that is the potential kinsman redeemer, said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now in verse 7 it says, This was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. One man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, And this was a confirmation in Israel. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal. And verse 7 then is a reference to what was about to take place in verse 8. That is the removal of his sandal. Verse 9, it says, And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Kilion's and Malon's, From the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the the two who built the house of Israel. And may you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. woman. Verse 13, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception. She bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a close relative. And may his name be famous in Israel. 
And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. Also the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, This is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Verses 18 through 22 then record the genealogy, which we will look at next time. Now, beginning back uh, for a little bit of context, in verse 6, we see that the, uh, the potential kinsman redeemer's final decision on the matter of acquiring the right to Elimelech's land and marrying Ruth, he turned this down. Now, it seems to be for reasons that are kind of precarious to us because we are somewhat removed from the historical culture, cultural differences there. Of course, there's a time distance there that we're removed, uh, a few uh, thousand years and more from this time. And so it's a little bit lost to us exactly why uh, his inheritance would be ruined. There are a number of potential reasons or speculations that we can make to uh, that would give us reason to why his inheritance is being put that possible speculations for why uh, redeeming the right to the land would be a threat to his inheritance is that if uh, he were to do this and then bear up a son through Ruth, his own inheritance then would, would be given to this son. And this may be the case because if he didn't have any sons at the time, assuming that this is an unmarried man, the firstborn would then receive his own inheritance plus Elimelech's inheritance that's being redeemed here. Therefore, uh, this potential kinsman is in fear uh, of the fact that his own inheritance would then go uh, go to the son of Ruth who was carrying Elimelech's name with him. Therefore, his own inheritance would uh, then, in one sense, be be being swallowed up in Elimelech's name, not his own, and his own name would be lost in that inheritance. We talked about this a little bit last last time, and I think there's some something more there that I, I'll be honest and say I'm still trying to understand myself. But nevertheless, we know that this... Uh, kinsman redeemer was concerned that his own inheritance would be lost or ruined as it says because of him marrying Ruth and and bearing up a son in Elimelech's name through her therefore he cedes the right we see in verse 6 to Boaz to redeem uh, the right to redeem the land and also to acquire Ruth as his wife Let me just uh, jump ahead just for a moment. In verse 8, the close relative says to Boaz, buy it for yourself. I think there's a a little bit of a a weak interpretation there of that word buy. Rather, it should be thought of more acquire it for yourself. Acquire the right, because as we said before, uh, in this court procedure that's happening, there is no buying or selling that's actually taking place. Naomi isn't selling the land. The land is actually owned by someone outside the family. We know this. We've already looked at this. 
And what's happening here is that Boaz, or this other kinsman redeemer, is buying the right or acquiring the right to buy the land back from the present owner of the land. So they're not buying the land in any sense. They're acquiring the right to redeem the land, which would require some kind of financial uh, obligation. They'd be buying it back from someone outside the family, and so uh, there would be some financial obligation there for whoever redeemed the right to buy it back. And in this case, we know that it will be Boaz. Now, um, let me then look back at, or at the end of verse eight. It says, "Verse eight, it says, so he took off his sandal." Verse seven then expounds on what's happening here, and um, we'll consider that for a moment. What the author is actually doing here, the narrator is he's giving a parenthetical explanation about this custom that's being mentioned in verse 8. By the fact that he gives us this kind of parenthetical explanation, uh, we can, we can uh, assume then that this is a customary practice that is no longer being practiced at this time in which Ruth, the book of Ruth is being written. Otherwise, there would be no need for him to explain this. If this was something that was still happening a few hundred years later, and not even actually that long, probably uh, about 200 years later, there would be no reason to give this explanation. The readers of Ruth would read it and say, yeah, we know, we know about this. We know we do this every day in our legal proceedings. But this doesn't seem to be the case. And that's why the author is giving us an explanation and more particularly, the, the readers at that time, an explanation of what's happening here. And it's not that they even, to, to just expound a little bit more, it's not like they just didn't do it anymore. Like, yeah, we, we know about this, but it's, no, we don't do it that way anymore. There seems to be no understanding whatsoever of this, of this legal practice because he goes into the details of when it's done, it's done when, it's, when there's uh, items concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. And this is how it's done. He takes off a sandal and he gives it to another. And what's the purpose? Under verse 7 it says it's a confirmation. It's kind of a, a, the binding you know, legal end to this, this procedure. I've handed, I've taken my sandal off, I've handed it to you. This is the confirmation that what's just been said or just been done is, is final. It's, it's in writing is kind of how we would say it today. You know, you've, you've signed your name. You've, you put your signature down, and it's binding now. And this handing of the sandal is, is, is a similar idea, but it's been lost. And, uh, and uh, it may seem odd to us that in just a few generations, really only two generations later, remember Obed is the father of who? Jesse, who is the father of David. So we've only removed ourselves about two or three generations since this event has occurred. And in just that time, this legal custom has been lost. And as I said, this may kind of seem odd to us because we may think back to, you know, the time of our, of our great-great-grandfather or something. We, we know somewhat of the customs of that day. Of course, now we have things like the Internet to help us uh, keep track of that. And that helps, of course. But... Um, if you think about our culture today, it's, it's really not that uncommon. 
Think just for a moment of this past year, what a pandemic can do to the culture and customs of our society. Um, for instance, you know, now we're getting more back to it, and I hope we continue to, but a handshake. You know, the past year, we hardly saw that, you know, the fist bump or whatever it may be. And that's just one instance of things that may have a, a rippling effect, even in this next generation, the way in which school is done, the way in which, you know, work is done, and things that we may explain to our children or grandchildren, and they may have no recollection or no idea that things like, you know, things were how they used to be in our day and age, uh, just because of pandemic or, or any other kind of cultural variance that takes place in the next generation. And, and so we see that today. It's really not that unfamiliar to us, hopefully. And also, just as a reference, there's other instances in the Bible where these kind of parenthetical statements take place. For instance, uh, there's times in which an editor of the Bible, perhaps a scribe, will actually update a place name, a city in the Bible that's changed names over the years. And so the editor will then change the name and say, now, you know, this is the name of the city now. And what's the purpose? It's not just to change scripture. We know that. It's not as if that change is makes scripture no longer inerrant or inspired, but it's, it's to help the, uh, the perspicuity of scripture, to make it clear to the readers that this is, this is what we're talking about. And, uh, you know, we seek to do the same today as, as communicators of God's word. Now, of course, we're not going in and updating city names or things like that in scripture, but what's, what's the idea of, of teaching and, and describing things? It's to give clarity to the audience of what's happening in the context. So, you know, whether it be that we, we draw out an illustration of, of, you know, something that happens today and how it's similar to Scripture, or, or even in one sense giving, you know, as we look at historical Israel and say, you know, today this is called this, or this is the custom today in Israel. And, and so we do that today, and it's not to change or, or make an improvement on Scripture, but just to provide clarity to the reader because that's what we want to provide is clarity and understanding God's word. So there's many instances of, of this happening in scripture, and here is one of them where the author is giving us a helpful explanation of this custom. Now, in verse 9, we see Boaz's speech to the witnesses. It says here in verse 9, And Boaz said to the elders, that would be a reference to the ten men. Do you remember earlier on? when the legal proceedings began in verse, um, verse 2 of chapter 4, he says, And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit, sit down here. In other words, sit and watch as these legal proceedings uh, ensue and be witnesses to what's about to happen. So now in verse 9, he's addressing those ten men. And it says, And also the people. You may wonder, you know, who are those people? Well, assumedly, Remember, this is taking place where? The city gate. People are coming and going. It's most likely the case that people would stop by, bystanders that would come in and you know, watch the, what's happening in these court proceedings. We have a similar thing in our, in our courts today. Some, uh, some uh, legal cases, you can come in and you can observe what's going on. And so that's likely what's happening here. And Boaz is addressing those ten men and, of course, others that are standing by. And this is what he says. 
he says to them, You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Kilion's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife. For what purpose? This is the purpose. To perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. Boaz now turning to the witnesses and to the people that are there that have gathered to watch the procedure unfold. Boaz speaks to them, restating the terms and provisions of the the case that has just been presented between him and the kinsman, the other potential kinsman redeemer. He states the terms and the provisions here in verse 9 that he has acquired the rights to uh, all that was Elimelech's and his two sons. He's also acquired the right to the widow of Malon, which is Ruth. Interesting fact, this is actually the first time we're told who Ruth was married to. Up until now, the author has not given us those details, uh, which, which son, the deceased son that Ruth was married to. But here we find out those details. Malon is uh, Ruth's deceased husband. The, the other terms of, of the proceeding that um, Boaz is restating here is that the purpose for marrying or acquiring as a wife is to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. And this kind of calls out the Leverite marriage principle or custom that we talked about before in Deuteronomy chapter 25, where uh, if, if, if a son was to pass away, having been married to someone, leaving her a widow, that one of the younger sons then, who was unmarried, should then take her as his wife in order to honor his name, the deceased husband's name, his older brother's name. And that would give honor and a good reputation to that deceased one and his inheritance. And so Boaz is also not only fulfilling the kinsman-redeemer function, acquiring the rights to the land, but also uh, the Leverite marriage principle of marrying the widow of a deceased relative. Now, uh, as I already said, but let me just remind you, Boaz didn't as much buy the land that's kind of a poor translation, as much as he acquired the right to redeem it from the person that uh, presently owned it, as well as acquiring the right to redeem Ruth and marry her. By marrying Ruth, Boaz was honoring the name of Elimelech and also the deceased husband, Malon. By bearing up a child, potentially with Ruth, who would honor that name, that would carry the name through the inheritance. Remember, the inheritance and the name are are very connected. They're intertwined. Uh, In the inheritance is the reputation of that name uh, that, that the inheritance is coming from. So Boaz was doing a great honor to Elimelech's name in marrying Ruth and, and uh, potentially bearing up a son through her. Obviously, uh, we can see through the book of Ruth that Boaz is not only doing this merely for uh, legal purposes or for kinsman-redeemer purposes or even simply for Limelech's own 
you know, reputation. There's obviously an interest that Bo has in Ruth as well to marry her and take her as uh, his wife. His interest, again, is not just in the legal things, but a true interest in Ruth. Because of her virtuous character, he now understands that she is, she is a Moabite, and with that comes often a negative uh, reputation because of their, their false gods and their, their pagan practices. But, of course, Ruth has demonstrated by her character, by her, by her loyalty to Naomi and to Naomi's people and to Naomi's God, Yahweh, that she is detached from any prior, you know, kind of uh, Moabite practices, her own gods, and, and the reputation that comes from her previous life. And so, with, with, uh, without any concern, Boaz desires to take for himself Ruth as his wife. And he calls upon the witnesses there to, be, to, be, uh, to observe this, to be the witnesses from, from this time and forward that uh, what Boaz is about to do is, is above reproach. It has been uh, done in a legal manner and that uh, Boaz is seeking to, to honor the name of the dead through his actions. Now, in verses 11 and 12, we see the response of the witnesses to what Boaz has done in the procedure, the preceding procedure that has taken place. And this is what they say to Boaz in verse 11 and 12. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, you are, excuse me, we are witnesses. The Lord make the women woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel, and may you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. We see here there are three blessings that the witnesses invoke Yahweh to grant Boaz. And this form of invoking a blessing from Yahweh is, is similar to Boaz is in chapter 2, verse 12. Let me call your attention to that. Remember in his conversation, his first conversation with Ruth, after talking with her for a time, he says in verse 12, the Lord repay your work. In other words, may the Lord bless what you have done. May he reward you. And a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. And so this kind of invocation is, is, a, is a, a common practice. And we see it throughout the rest of, of the Old Testament as well, where they are they're calling upon God to bless someone for their righteous actions, for their good actions, for their honorable, virtuous actions. And so the witnesses turn to Boaz and seek and invoke Yahweh's blessing upon Boaz for what he is doing. These are now the three blessings that they invoke Yahweh to grant Boaz. First, they say, may the Lord make the woman, that is Ruth, who is coming into your house. Uh, in, in other words, saying, you know, coming into your house, being married to you, becoming your wife, becoming a part of your family. And their desire is that this woman would be like Rachel and Leah. Now, who are these two Ladies, they're the representatives of, of all that came, right, from Abraham and Jacob. 
so forth. Isaac, they are the heads, that is, the, the, the matriarchal heads of all the descendants of this line who have together built up, as they say, the house of Israel. Through them are the offspring of the house of Israel, the house of David. Without them, there would not be this line. And so they represent God's blessing and how God has blessed Rachel and Leah and granted them many offspring. And therefore, their desires that Yahweh would do a similar thing for Ruth. That like Rachel and Leah, God would bless Ruth with many offspring to come through her children. That's the first blessing they invoke. The second is this, may you, that is Boaz, act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. Now, in one way, we've understood from the book of Ruth that that is already the case. Boaz already has quite a reputation in Bethlehem, but I think the idea is here that it would either be be even more further established that through his offspring, through Ruth, that Boaz's name would also be renowned for his honorable act in marrying Ruth and, and raising up the name of Elimelech, honoring that name through his actions. And so they invoke God's blessing upon Boaz and that the people in generations to come would, would, would praise the, the uh, honorable actions of Boaz. The third blessing that is invoked is in, the, in verse 12. He says, they say, that is, the, the people present, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Now, if you remember the story of Tamar, um, you may wonder why they are drawing out some kind of similarity between the two, because, uh, of course, Perez was born out of a, uh, an incestuous relationship, <laughs> with Judah, her father-in-law. And so it's not any kind of a glamorous uh, of, a, of a statement in the sense of how this son came, came about or was conceived. But I think what the, it seems that what the, the situation or the reason that they are invoking this memory of, of Perez being born by Tamar is that this, if God would grant a blessing even in that situation... So that line would continue even out of a of a uh, immoral action. If God is so is so gracious to still bless that line, how much more will He then bless Boaz and Ruth, who have not acted immorally, who have not acted you know in any kind of unrighteous manner, but have done things in a way that is pleasing to Yahweh? How much more will He then bless their family? And the answer is. Seemingly just as much, if not more, right? And so I believe that as we look at this text, that's the purpose behind them drawing that kind of that similarity uh, between uh, Tamar, who bore Perez through Judah, and the potential offspring that would come through Boaz and Ruth. Those are the three blessings that we see invoked, being invoked uh, to Yahweh to grant Boaz by the people. And now in verse 13, we see the actual uh, marriage take place or, or an explanation or, or 
a, a statement about this. In verse 13, it says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. We see here that uh, the author is giving, uh, giving the Lord the honor here. It's the Lord who gave her conception. The Lord who has granted an offspring through these two. God has been uh, the provider through all of this book for all the needs of both Naomi and Ruth and also for Boaz. Sometimes we kind of forget that. God has granted Boaz a wife, a helpmate, someone, a companion. And here now God is even granting them a son. Verse 14, we see uh, the women of the city blessing the Lord as well for granting to Naomi this grandchild. Look at verse 14. It says, Then the Lord, excuse me, then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the name of the Lord, who has not left you this day without a close relative. And may his name be famous in Israel. Now, uh, as you look at that, that phrase there, close relative, what does that draw to your mind? Perhaps Boaz, right? The kinsman redeemer who has uh, married Ruth. However, it seems that perhaps that's not actually who the women are referring to. Rather, they are actually referring to the son who has been born, who we find out his name is Obed. Why, why do we say that, or why do I say that specifically? Well, look at verse 15. It says, And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has born who? Him. Referring back to that close relative. The one who has given life back to Naomi. Isn't that a wonderful picture? Remember back at the beginning where we said uh, the storyline or a theme that is kind of wends its way through Ruth, through Ruth is Naomi's uh, loss then to being fulfilled once again. And here it is, the culmination of that. And the women of the city recognizing that. Remember they saw Naomi return to Bethlehem, probably looking very distraught, a widow, sad, remorsed, frustrated at the Lord. They saw all of that. And now they've seen how God has once again restored life. Not just a, a physical, you know, a sense of nourishment and a sense of food, but also of countenance. For those who have maybe had a, a grandchild or do, you maybe recall to your, your mind when, when that little one entered the world and the joy that that gives to you, and, or maybe you know someone, or maybe someone's like a grandchild to you, and you have had that experience, and, and here we see Naomi experiencing all of that. God has given a son to Ruth, who is not only a blessing to Ruth and to Boaz, but is also a restorer of life in Naomi's old age. To a woman who couldn't bear another son, 
has lost two already. And this son, that is this grandson, would be to her, the women say, better than seven sons. Isn't that amazing? I don't know exactly what the women saw in Obed, the son, but they knew this, that even though Naomi had lost two already, and would have no longer sons of her own, God had given her someone that was better than seven sons. It's a wonderful and amazing thought. Verse 16, we see then, Naomi took the child and, and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. What a, what a wonderful and, uh, detail that we're given here by the author. Naomi taking this little one in her arms, caring for her, for him, providing for him as if it were, as if he was her own. Verse 17, also the neighbor women gave him a, na- a name saying, this, there is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. Amazing, too, again, just going back to the fact that, yes, they saw this, obviously, as the offspring of Ruth. This is her child. This is Boaz's son, as it were. But, but it goes beyond that. The attention here is upon Naomi and how the son has brought life once again to her, account, bringing a, a, a positive countenance, a purpose, a meaning, again, to Naomi's life. And then we see this final detail given to us in verse 17. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. A short, concise statement, but yet very, very important to this whole book. As it, as it gives us an account, a narrative account of, God, of how God has preserved this line, the line of David, when even seeming impossible. When Elimelech passes, the two sons pass, leaving Ruth, a widow, leaving Naomi, too old of age, to bear any other sons up to preserve this line. Yet God has providentially preserved the line of David, ultimately the line from which our Savior, our Redeemer, as we'll consider next time as we look at the genealogy Our Redeemer, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, was born out of. We're thankful for that. Amen, right? How God is working through all ages, even hundreds of years before his own son would be be born through this line. Let's close. We are over time here now, but let's close in a word of prayer and enjoy some fellowship. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this detailed account. Lord, no jot or tittle is there for any just meaningless purpose. Every portion of your word is meant for our edification, for our growth and knowledge of you and and praise of you. Lord, even in our story this night, this evening, as we consider the, the, uh, the, the marriage of Boaz to Ruth, Lord, and how, uh, how you honor and bless those kind of marriages, Lord, even today. 
those that are done in, an, in a worthy manner, in a praiseworthy manner, an honorable manner. Lord, those small details, even to the greatest details of, again, as we said, how you have preserved this line, knowing from eternity past that you would, that you would use this line to, to uh, give a physical human life to your son, side of him so that he could live and die on the cross as our redeemer from our sins what a wonderful work you have been working for hundreds thousands of years lord may your name be praised for all of that in your name amen